We're all right, Vanessa. Thank you for joining us. Nice to see you. How are you? You too. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for asking. Um, maybe you could just start by letting people know uh, your background. How would you describe what you do? Um, I am a long form journalist who, you know, long form meaning long magazine articles, uh, who is now a podcaster. So I do like sort of serial style uh, narrative nonfiction podcasts. Excellent. So there's um, one of your books, Blurred Lines, is, is quite a, like an interesting topic. It's a quite an inflammatory one. There's a lot of moral panic surrounding the topics. And then I suppose the the easy answer has been for a while on this sort of thing. Uh, you know, the allegations of campus harassment and rapes is just mm -hmm. believe all women that appear to be the narrative. And right. of course, you're someone who's very careful to obviously acknowledge the devastating uh, reality of rape but you've also put an objective uh investigative mindset to it and you're trying to find out where are some gray areas and i just wanted to get your your thoughts on that in, in america for instance there's often a, a stat thrown around i can't quite remember it might be one in four or one in five people are raped on u.s campuses i think barack obama may have even used it at one point and, and, yeah. but, mm -hmm. right okay and it, it was sort of um deconstructed by a few people to say that the the criteria for what's classed as a rape on that polling data is quite ambiguous obviously you know more about that than me yeah i think the issue is is that it's all uh about definitions right so what i consider to be rape it may not be what you consider to be rape so a lot of those statistics use the most sort of narrow um definition of rape so um when they ask you know primarily women or women identified people, you know, have you experienced these things, they come back with a lot of data. Now, I mean, my book, Blurred Lines, is about the idea that um, the new generation, like the, gen the millennials and Gen Z, just have a very different concept of what um, consent is versus our concept. Um, as like older folks. And so, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the Basically, what you can see in the rape issue is um, like a changing of the guard where you have women saying, no, this is the way I want to be treated. This is the way I want my body to be treated. And like, obviously, sometimes it's overdetermined. Um, sometimes they're right, you know. So I wrote a book, my book, Blurred Lines, is really um, written for like a generalist audience trying to understand the nuances around Me Too. And it's pr primarily on campuses. Yeah. And did we have a bit of an issue at the start? Uh, I mean, obviously, the Me Too movement was a wonderful reckoning. It empowered a lot of women to finally find. Uh, you know, support to speak up and that the confidence to know that there would be people backing them if they spoke about the horrendous experiences they had. But then it seemed like a lot of other things got thrown under that banner and the, the range of these things varied from, you know, inappropriate comments and perhaps uh, over friendly touching to, you know, outright horrific acts of criminality. Um, and do you think this has had any effect on the dynamic between people on campus, young people, for instance? Is there a bit of... Um, a uh, sort of stifling of how, of how normal relationships may have developed otherwise? Um, well, I mean, I think there's a lot more stifling going on because of the phone, right? Like if you look at data about, you know, college students or something, they're all having like way less sex than they ever 
have had, you know, for decades. It was like it peaked in the 90s and now it's all downhill. And, you know, I don't know. It's hard. I mean, I'm not much of like a cancel culture warrior style person. Like I, mm. you know, insofar as there is a, an objective reality, I try to like put that forward. Um, I think like a lot of those conversations are just sort of getting tired, to be honest. Like, I don't care. Like, I just don't, <laughs> I don't really care anymore. And I think in, I would say in the US, like the energy is away from this stuff now. Like it might be in chat, in, in audio, the energy is still around. Definitely like the, you know, all the discussion around woke and has woke gone too far. But in terms of like the print media, I think people are just like sort of over it. I mean, everybody I know who's a writer is just like, so let's just like, let's just move on, you know? Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, the, I think that's good. I mean, I find it tiresome. Like I find it to be like a sort of just like bleak landscape where people are talking about, you know, past each other. I think that's a really interesting point and a good one, because I, I'm someone who very much gets dragged into the culture wars and very much keeps an eye on the idea of cancellation culture. And it often dawns on me, there is so many more important things that we could be fixating on. Uh, rather than, you know, cancellation and, and things like that. I mean, is this a product of the internet, basically? Is is this argument, these culture wars, these endless discussions over cancellation, is this just a product of the fact that we're all literally living in each other's pockets now in our smartphones? We're connected to everyone all of the time. Um, yeah, I think human nature is just that we want to, you know, comment on people and judge people and have different ideas about people. And like, of course, the phone lets you have like all sorts of like angry ideas or like emotionally complex ideas about these people. And then you get like a hit of serotonin or something when you like post it and everybody likes it and it just feels really good and you get attention and all of that. And like, there's stuff that's really annoying. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I'm the first person who's like, oh, this is so annoying. But I also think like we've seen it now play out so many times. The cycle is dull. Like it's very, uh, very predictable. Yeah. That's why I, I mean, think people are interested in like cults now and people are interested in UFOs and like the UFO from China and, you know, like the, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine. And like there's a lot of stuff going on the COVID thing divorced from like, uh, who said what about the lab? Like, it feels like we're sort of getting closer to maybe finding out if that's true. Like, I think there's a lot going on in the news right now that feels like, yeah, everybody's gonna get excited about Andrew Tate, of course, you know? <laughs> but, but like for the sub Andrew Tate level things, like, I don't know, this could also be my tiny bubble since we all just live like in tiny, tiny bubbles now. Yeah. Well, last thing I'll ask you about social media then, I suppose, because I suppose the only thing worse than spending all your time on social media is spending all your time talking about social media. But uh, you as a, someone who's a journalist and obviously has to be, um, you know, engaged in a lot of the current affairs, is it even possible for somebody like you to be able to do your job without having a, a Twitter account, for instance? I do have a Twitter account. Um so, but like, I don't, I do want to, can I address what I think this is might be like, is this somebody commenting on the side? Like, 
Me Too was a five minute wonder. Was it a deep state construct to take out one person or a Hollywood construct to change the power balance? Who's saying that? Ray J, that's a question from Ray J. So, I mean, if you want to take a run at that, you are more than welcome. And so we were, we're talking about like Weinstein and the Israeli connection and like taking him out, basically. This is the first um, time I'm hearing about the uh, Israeli connection, but I suppose, the, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose the further left or right you go on any conspiracy, you always end up back to Israel right. somehow. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't know. I think me too. I, I mean, my, I think the bottom line on me too is that like it changed a lot of the sexual dynamics in workplaces, which was good, like hmm. which needed to happen. Like, I am now the older person at this. I run this podcast company called campsite media and i'm like the older you know more senior person there and i cannot even imagine trying to you know do something to okay so this really i'm talking about the black cube like that whole thing that happened with weinstein um but uh in any case like i i think that of course people meet their their significant others through workplaces and like that's never going to change but like the idea of like an older person sort of predating on a younger person who has to do what that person wants them to do because you know they're in control that's like sort of disgusting you know and i'm glad that's gone so i think that in the end will be the like positive legacy of me too um but sorry what else were you saying yeah, I th no, I just think you're right. I think you, we, we obviously the idea of dismantling the boys type clubs in, in workplaces is, is certainly a good thing. Um, I suppose then if you if you wanted to pivot around the idea of cults, uh, I am yet to be uh, initiated in the Nexium cult, uh, apart from hearing that there is a, a certain aspect of celebrity involved in it. And obviously the one of the main guys behind it is doing this, an extensive amount of jail time. Now, maybe you could just explain to people what this cult is if they've never heard of it before yeah so i you know in my little forays into reporting around america um i wrote a story a big story about keith ranieri and nexium which is the sex cult that people may have heard about that allison mack was in that actress from smallville and a lot of heiresses and it was really one of the um sort of scariest, most destructive cults that we've had in the U.S. for a very long time. Um, this is the cult where women branded each other with a symbol that they thought was like chakras and it was like water and water and the earth and light and, you know, all these different beautiful ideas. But really, it was the initials of Keith Ranieri, who is the leader of the cult. So, um, you know, I have this podcast out now called Infamous, where I talk a lot about this story and a bunch of other stories that I have reported over, um, you know, many, many years. And um, this, I, I essentially have all the tape recordings from meeting those guys, because when they were about to be indicted for sex trafficking and forced labor, and RICO and like all of this stuff, they were like, you know what we should do? Like, we haven't spoken to a reporter in 14 years, but why don't we invite a reporter to talk to us? And so I was the reporter that got invited to talk to them to hear, like, 
what their story, what their defense was. And when I was going to interview Keith, it was like, okay, you need to go to Albany where the cult was um, situated. I was like, no, actually you need to go to Mexico. It's like, well, why am I going to Mexico? And it's like, Keith is just, he's, his girlfriend has a problem with her visa. They had to go down there. And so, yeah. So he was sort of semi in hiding in Guadalajara. So I went and talked to him. In Mexico? In and Guadalajara. Guadal yeah. Okay, so what's that like then? You, you're coming face to face to this guy who's responsible for some horrendous things, basically. I mean... I mean, removing that aside, what what was his personality like? How did he come across to you? He was like horrible, you know, like you think you're going to meet David Koresh, like you're going to meet this like gorgeous, you know, incredibly provocative and like scintillating, charismatic man. And instead, you know, he was like a lump on a chair. And he didn't have like any of his grand theories that I thought I was going to hear like at his fingertips. You know, I was like, tell me, like, tell me the way of the world. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me what the not, what is the wisdom? What is the knowledge? You know, and he was like, not really able to access that. And we later found out it was because he was like, basically every day, like he had, he ran his like life, like big love, like he was in a development, like a suburban development and all these women lived in all these different houses. And then he would just like tomcat around to the different houses and, you know, hook up with all these different women and like, you know, basically tell them like, you know, he could heal their trauma by going down on them and like all this sort of like mind fuck stuff about their weight you know they had to be skinny because it would like their fat energy would mess him up and everybody was like training for a marathon and like trying to get like strong like you need to be badass women so the main like weird trick was like you know i'm really about women empowerment and women need to get stronger and the way you can get stronger is starve yourself be super anorexic, put my initials on your body permanently and have sex with me. I think that that woman that would be good for womankind. And like, you must show womankind that this is the way. So, I mean, you know, the thing about being like the kind of journalist that I am, because that's that book blurred line. So you're talking about like, I went and walked around on all the different college campuses and blah, 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 blah. Like I was part of that you know, like really put a backpack on and like hung out with these people. And so when I went to see these guys from Nexium, I was like, I'm going to just hang. Like, this is going to be super interesting. Like what's going to happen? I'm on the inside. Nobody has been in here for 14 years. That's a long time, right? Like, you know, They've been to see the Dalai Lama in Tibet. They've got the Bronfman, you know, children there who are, you know, giving like a hundred million dollars to this cult. They're like, they've got all these Hollywood actresses, like, you know, Vanity Fair and different people are like writing stories. Like what the hell is going on in this place? Like they're, they're anytime anybody leaves, they're like serving up these crazy lawsuits, like Scientology level lawsuits against people. Like I had an attorney say to me, they thought they'd spent $50 million on lawsuits against like, you know, cult awareness person or a person who had left and they felt they, that person stole or whatever it was. 
So, you know, I really miscalculated and thought like this was going to be, you know, like this was, I mean, they made it sound like we're going to roll out the red carpet and we're going to show you everything. And I was like, great, can't wait. Like I'm a gonzo journalist. I want to immerse. And they were like, yeah, no, actually, like, let's just sit down and tell you a bunch of lies. <laughs> it's a damage that control anyway. It would be fun. Yeah, they were like, everything was like tape recorded. They also tape recorded all of Keith's statements because he's like the smartest man alive, um, which is ultimately how they really got him during the trial is that, you know, he said he didn't have anything with the branding. He didn't know about the initials. He didn't have anything to do with the branding. It was the women decided to do it as a tribute. It's not his problem, right? Like, why should I feel weird about this? Like, they did it as a tribute. And then there were, like, all these tape recordings of him being like, so when you brand the woman, you should lay her down <laughs> on a bed and have her arms over her like a cross. And maybe should, she should say something like, please brand me, master. It would be an honor or whatever. And you're like, or whatever? And then he would say things to the women like, you know, you guys can figure it out. I'm very busy. I mean, I don't really have time to discuss anymore. You can figure it out from there. <laughs> you're gaslighting the poor woman that you're telling how to brand other women. Like it was like, woo, like it was really, it's, I would just say that it is a, um, like this is a cult for the ages. Like if you haven't watched The Vow or Seduced, um, India Oxenberg's uh, documentary, you really should, because this is really, there are very, very, very few cults that were this like, sort of like, uh, just like uh, detailed and complex and had so much money and had such like a weird like trick they were playing on people. Like it is like Waco or the, the sneaker one, you know, like what's the sneaker, the Nikes? Oh, so this the is another... Oh, okay. Heaven's right. Heaven's Gate. Anyway, yeah. So, I mean, just to pick up on a few things there, because it's fascinating to me because you talk about this this uh, this cult leader and you instantly your mind goes to, well, this must be a very enigmatic, charismatic individual who's a, you know, a chief manipulator, but your description of him was not particularly flattering for sure. But and, and it seems like a tough sell to me. The things that these women are asked for, they're obviously asked to give over their bodily autonomy. They're you know branded, uh, uh, you know, enforced diets in a way, or at least coerced into not eating to remain slim. And that's a that, this is a tough sell for me personally. I have to say. So what what connects these women in a way that they're willing to give themselves over in in a way? Is there an aspect of a vulnerable background here? Is there something you can thread through all these people that kind of gives you an indication of why they'd be susceptible to this sort of thing? Well, he particularly went after like the daughters and sons of rich and famous people. Um, so like, uh, you know, the Mexican president's son was in the group. Um, the Brothmans, you know, whose father, grandfather started Seagram's, you know, which is the ginger ale and all the whiskeys and everything like that. Um, I think that the idea was um, they had like a, a patter about like, you've never really earned anything in life. Like you have just sort of gotten money from your parents. Don't you want to earn something? 
And what you can earn is like a weird sash that you can earn if you bring people in to the cult in like an MLM style way, right? Because they had also these little classroom scenario where it was like seminars that went from, you know, eight to 14 hours a day where you're sitting there learning about like, what is the definition of honor or whatever. And then I think, you know, what's really fascinating about it is there were all these like incredibly beautiful very dynamic, sometimes educated, like well-educated, high-class women, you know? And Keith did this really sad thing, which is like he really targeted women with eating disorders. And like there's a, you know, if you're targeting a woman who's like had, you know, adult eating disorders for women are like quite serious and really sad, right? Like it's, one thing to have this as a teenager and you grow out of it. But, you know, if you know a woman in her 30s, 40s, 50s who has an eating disorder, it's it's pretty painful to look at. And he basically brought them together and said, see, your eating disorder is good. And look at all these other women. And you guys, they would have scales that they would put like broccoli on to weigh out how many grams of broccoli they were eating and like write it down, you know? So I think that you can't overestimate how much the food was like the controlling part of this. And um, he like sort of turned them into like teenagers, right? Like if you ever knew a guy in, you know, whatever you guys call it in the UK, like junior high school, right? Like seventh, eighth grade in the US, like, you know, there's some boys who are sort of grown up and they're interested in girls. And there's some boys who aren't really that grown up. And you'll get like a boy who's sort of interested in girls, but his deal is he wants to be friends with all the girls, right? And they're always texting each other. I mean, we used to do it like you would talk on the phone, right? Like, and he's sort of like semi hooking up with these girls. Like he kisses this one, he kisses that one, but he's like this positions himself as like the center of the little group. That's basically what like Keith did. You know, and then he had had all these women like fighting over him to get his affection. So it's gross. Like, it's bad. <laughs> like, believe me. Yeah. I mean, t tell me a little bit about Keith's background. What do we know about him, where he came from, his upbringing? When, at what age did he, did he try and form this cult? Um, well, he was, you know, from upstate New York he uh you know said he had like sort of like a you know road on damascus kind of moment where he saw the 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 river and it was so beautiful and he he put his toe in to joy and then he realized joy could just go forever like if you connected with him and he's special and blah 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 but you know his mom died he claims to have taken care of his mom. Not everybody agrees with that. But it sounds like from the time that he was in college, he was basically living in these sort of harem-esque um, situations where he would live or he would have girlfriends, like two or three girlfriends, who would be, you know, in a relationship with him, like a polyamorous relationship, except they weren't allowed to hook up with anybody else. So it was like sort of like a harem, right? And then he pressured them to bring like hotter, younger girls. And that's basically how this like continued to go, which is how you got like beautiful actresses like Alison Mack or like India Oxenberg or like all of these sort of, you know, starlets 
to essentially start signing up for Nexium. The Did women you, would sorry, like the older women would bring them in, basically. You know. Did you ever get to speak to Alison Mack at all? I did speak to Alison Mack, yeah. And, well, so sorry, that was ahead. the first thing I did. Yeah, that tell was the first thing I did. Tell yeah. me all about it, please. <laughs> I'll tell you all about sorry, it. go ahead. Um, you can also listen to my podcast, Infamous, where I have all the tape recordings of all, all these people. So basically, the you know, after I talked to Claire Bronfman, um, I was introduced to Alison Mack. And it was like a very, very snowy day in Brooklyn, in Brownstone, Brooklyn, which is like the beautiful part where, you know, there's all, it was cold and all the chimneys were going and it smelled great. And you're like walking down, you know, the street and like Lena Dunham lives here, Adam Driver lives here, you know, and I went into this like beautiful old building and went upstairs and Alison Mack was there and she said it was her apartment, which I've never quite been able to figure out because like it wasn't her apartment, but like what was going on in there. And all the stuff had been like sort of taken off the walls and put down on the floor. And she was like, oh, I've just moved into this apartment. I'm not living in Albany anymore with Keith. But it, but she was, <laughs> she was living there. So I don't know what the, what, what exactly was happening. Maybe they wanted me to think she was like independent or whatever. And, you know, she like burned some Palo Santo and we looked at her art and her art books. And we talked about like cool podcasts and she basically, you know, told me that the whole, the idea for the branding was all her idea. She just felt like, women needed to be stronger and indeed they they had to you know feel their strength through doing things that were not even just like getting a tattoo like a brand would be like really something women could feel strong about and that everybody in the branding group which was like you know about 150 women it was a pyramid scheme essentially. And like Keith was at the top, he was called the grandmaster. And then underneath that, there were eight women, one of whom was Allison, and they were all called masters. And then they would bring in slaves underneath them. So another woman who you were like counseling about her diet, or maybe you said, hey, you should get branded. Those women were called your slaves. And then a good slave would bring in other women underneath her, and those women would be called her slaves. Wow, I mean, it's a, oh, I mean, there's a lot to lot to pick apart there. And how, how long ago did this? I mean, sorry, how long did this go on for? What was the time period? Uh it was like a year and a half, I think, with the slave master group. But Nexium was around for. I mean, years, 20, 25 years. And when did the authorities get involved? Was there a trigger point? Uh, how, how did they even find out about what was going on? Yeah, so I think what happened was a bunch of women, different people had started to figure out what was happening, right? And there's a very famous survivor named Sarah Edmondson, and she was branded. She did get a brand. When her husband found out about the brand, he freaked out, right? And they realized, oh my God, everything here is a lie. Like we've built our whole life on this crazy lie. 
And so they were active in sort of talking to people about how they should defect. And there was another guy named Mark Vicente. He also did the same. And then Catherine Oxenberg, I don't know if you know who she is. She was on Dynasty. You know, I think her, maybe her grand, her mother was like the princess of Prussia or something like that. Um, she started trying to get her daughter, India, out of the cults. And um, different people had spoken with the authorities in New York, um, like, he was running these crazy like scientific experiments where he was like really, really, really fixated and trying to figure out who in this group was a sociopath. So we put like those like brain, you know, caps with like all the, you know, different like cords coming off of it on different people and show them pictures of like gore and like Mexican, you know, cartels killing people. And then like, depending on what would be, the output of what they were thinking. He would say, well, maybe this one's a sociopath, that one's a sociopath. So they tried to like complain, I think, to the medical board in New York and say like, they're doing these unauthorized tests or something. And like, everybody was like, we don't care. It sucks for you, you know? Um, and so basically they started talking to the authorities and then the New York Times ran a huge story about the branding and they broke the story basically. And they had Sarah Edmondson was willing to take a picture showing her brand, you know? Where would these girls be branded and what part of the body? Well, interestingly, if you talk to Heath, he was like, it's a little hip brand. Like, what are you talking about, you know? And then if you talk to people who really hate Nexium, they would be like, it's like a pussy brand. It's really like, you know, sort of like where you'd see like, like a, you know, like a little like feather, or like a little fairy or something on like a saucy woman, you know? Right. Sort of like on the bikini line, you know? Okay. Well, obviously the, all the criminality. <laughs> yeah. And, it's yeah. pretty much Right? Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it doesn't doesn't appeal to me at all. The, the fairy or the brand, I'll be still, honest. It's still got some people who say that he's right, and they still defend him to this day. I can introduce you. That's the uh, the, the sort of brainwashed cult, uh, cult mentality, though, isn't it? So if we if we talk about like, obviously the criminal activities well established there and what went on. Uh, but what on the face of it, what was the front of the organization? How would they approach people to recruit? I mean, obviously, they just wouldn't rock up and start talking about branding and slavery and things like that. How would they draw people in? Yeah, I mean, they used to be called executive success programs. So the idea is that they were coaches, you know, they were executive coaches, just really high level executive coaches. Um, what they would do more frequently is they would... Um, you know, do, do you want to change your life? How much would it be worth it if I could help you change your life? Like you've heard of Landmark Forum, you've heard of, you know, all these different organizations of self-help, like we're the real self-help, which is why you haven't heard about us and why everybody attacks us, right? Because they have a trail of bad stuff on the internet. Um, so yeah, they, you know, it was it was small. It was a pretty small group um, in the thousands. So yeah, that's basically what they would they would say, and they try to get people to sign up for like a weekend class, right? And they were very, very good about like identifying like, what's your problem? Like, what is your life problem? Like my life problem is like, I was really attacked as a kid and I have a really hard time 
like being, if I feel I'm being bullied at all, I like lash back, right? Like that, maybe that would be my life problem was maybe something a little more like poetic than that. But, um, you know, they would like identify it for you and people really like that. And the other thing they did is like, they would do these things called exploration of meaning. So you would come in and say, I have this crazy fear of flying. I can't get over it. And they would sort of put you a little bit under a trance and help you like talk about like, when did you first feel this? Like what was going on with your mother? What was going on with your father? And you'd get like, you know, sort of like brain, you know, brain manipulated in that way. You know, very science, very you like Scientology has that too, right? I can't remember what Scientology has. I think it's like the E-meter. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, nothing as complex as the uh, the the pasta strainer on the head with the wires, which it sounds like was, yeah. was going on was going on there. So, I mean, how would they how would they raise funds? Did we ever? I mean, did you ever get a look at what their finances were in terms of how much money they brought in? I mean, how much? I'm assuming with their clientele I mean, being fairly rich. Yeah. Well, okay. So all these people were arrested in the end. Like every yeah. single person I talked to, right? So we learned a lot from that trial. Um, so Claire Bronfman, who was the most committed one, and Sarah Bronfman, her sister lives lives in in England still, you know, um, and she was not prosecuted, which is sort of Claire Bronfman. You know, I wouldn't say she paid for everything, but she paid for a lot. Like it's thought she paid for like a hundred million dollars of their expenses. So money was not an issue as far as I could tell. They also had like all of these rich Mexicans. It's like really, I cannot overstate. It was like the 1% sons and daughters of Mexico. Keith had written like a peace pledge about the cartels and he had them all like eating out of the palm of his hand. Like, I mean, it was, it, it's truly like it, it, the daughter of like the Rupert Murdoch of Mexico, like the son of the president of Mexico. Again, like, I mean, there is something about rich people, like rich people follow what other rich people do. Once you get a bunch, you can get more, right? So they had no, they had no money issues, no money woes, which is also like, you know, to this day, Keith has private counsel, you know. Was there a, a, a particular location or uh, an HQ where a lot of this took place? Yeah, it was in Albany in New York, which is like a very unglamorous, like suburb of New York, you know. And was this was this Keith's like, did he own this place? What What kind of what kind of location are we talking about? It was just like a suburb outside of Albany. It was close to where he grew up. Um, it was just like a very, that was also one of the very bizarre things, right? Cause you would think they would be in like New Mexico, you know, like in weird like yurts. And they were in just like McMansions. They all drew, uh, they all drove BMWs. Keith said that was the best car. And they were like, just in these McMansions, like stone, big, you know, mansions and some smaller ones, like just any development that you'd see in like an, a middle to upper middle class area. And, and during the trial, was there any sort of um, acknowledgement of wrongdoing? Or it, it is, does he maintain that he's done nothing wrong still? 
Well, he didn't testify, but um, I mean, he did say at the end, like basically something along the lines of, I don't think I did anything wrong, but I see a lot of suffering here, you know, and I acknowledge the suffering. Um, I mean, it's hard because when you take each one, each little thing that I've told you about, it doesn't sound so bad, right? Like, so whatever, they were anorexic. Okay, I'm sorry. You know what mm. I mean? Like they were branded like, okay, fine. Like people get brands, you know what I mean? People get gauges in their ears, like body modification. It's when you start to take it all together that you're like, oh, Jesus, like what was happening? And so, I mean, I think he's obviously somewhat mentally disturbed, you know, um, and he will always point to people who did better. Right. Like that person did better because of me, you know, right. and he has enough of those examples, I think, in his head. I don't know. I mean, you, you do know he's in prison for life. Right. right. So he's he's got a lot of time to think over what he wants to do. But at this point, he's appealing. I think he just lost his last appeal, but he's he's still very much wants to get out of there and doesn't isn't making amends. You know, well, I mean, what did his sentence include? Because obviously we, we don't want to minimize the harm he's caused, but. You know, it seems like he would have got the same sentence if he'd gone on a, a you know, a, a gun spree and, and murdered, you know, tens of people. Um, so, I mean, how do they rationalize giving him a life sentence for the crimes he's committed? I mean, look, that's a big question. You know, like Harvey Weinstein's going to probably do less time in prison. Right. Mm. And that's yeah. like a sad, sad situation. Um, it's you know, they sort of mess with this definition of sex trafficking. Um, but like in this case, there really was like trafficking. That's the things is like, I am the first person to be like, oh God, sex trafficking again. I've, like, I've been told we need to say uh, transporting for the YouTube algorithm. Uh, <laughs> why is that? <laughs> the, they're very sensitive about which videos they oh, will, oh, not, oh, will yes. depending on I, what topics. Sorry. I just about this i'm making so i'm making this podcast and i just heard about how i have to stay away from like pedophilia or certain words and i was like but i'm making a podcast about one of those like satanic daycare cult cases and i was like there was no actual pedophilia like it was a fake it's like it's a story about a media fake and we're like the you know the censors will hear it no matter what um so okay we're saying sex transporting um, yeah. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, but we were, we were trying to rationalize the length of the sentence, weren't we? I think. Okay. Well, I mean, I would say that, yes, there's part of me that's like, he did some serious crimes, right? And, and the sex transport there, it's true that he would say to a woman, I want you to bring that woman here and tell her she has to ha take all her clothes off for me or whatever. And the first woman would be told that this was like the way to enlightenment and she needed to go do it, right? And so the coercion of that, and I'm sure there were some state lines involved. Remember there were people going to Mexico too. Um, the state lines of that were an issue. And also just like, there was a, a, a huge amount of coercion going on. So if uh, that feels like that fits, then, um, you know, it was a big conspiracy charge, right? It was a RICO. It was a criminal conspiracy. It was all like um, there were a bunch of 
Mexicans that they brought into Albany without their visas really being on, you know, doing the right stuff. Then they also had this thing, if you were like a slave or if you were lower in the hierarchy of Nexium, you should like clean this woman's house for 14 hours, which they called like forced labor, you know, which is like, you got to really squint a little to be like, okay, well, that is supposed to be for like, not immigrants who also happen to be part of like Mexico's first family, you know what yeah. I mean? Like supposed to be from penniless ones, but it was true. So I've sort of come around on it. At first I was like, this seems, this seems unfair. Like this seems gross. Um, but given the totality of like, it is a morals, it's a moral sentence. It's like, difficult it's to get a, a precedent for it as well, isn't it? It's not every day you put away a branding cult leader, is it? No, it is indeed <laughs> not. <laughs> so, I mean, when this all fell apart, can, do you have any idea roughly of, about the membership numbers, how many people were involved in total? Um, I don't, but I think they, it, it very quickly went dwindled you know there yeah. were like maybe seven thousand and now there's probably like a few hundred or maybe even a few dozen so i mean there's a, there is a potential there is the potential that this is this cult is still operating even after keith's been jailed or has, has it gone completely underground or disbanded uh it's I don't know exactly what's going on, but he definitely has, still has some true believers. I mean, there's an actress, a woman named Nikki Klein, who's interviewed quite often, um, who was on Battlestar Galactica, who is one of the true believers that's still around. Um, yeah. And so what What was, I mean, I'm familiar with her only because I'm a Battlestar Galactica nerd. Uh, that, that's my way into this conversation. We finally found a way in. Um, so what has, what kind of things has she said uh i mean like you say she's still defending this cult she is still defending the cult yeah she's like thinks that it's all been a misunderstanding basically and it really was about strength of women yeah she thinks it's a misunderstanding it's a real misunderstanding and there's some conspiracy things there are some things uh regarding you know the way um, you know, some of the evidence was handled, um, you know, it's possible not everything was done totally by the book. Right. Um, so yeah, she's still pretty active and speaks out a lot and Claire's, Claire's in prison and Allison's in prison. Um, a bunch of other people are in prison for, for like, I think it's mostly like three to six year sentences. Right. Do you think these, the aspect of celebrity in this has, has obviously led to more scrutiny and heat that would that has led to its downfall, whereas maybe if it was uh, somebody who was preying on people without wealth or public profiles, it would be less likely to be noticed? Well, I, I don't think without money, this never could have happened. Like without the Bronfman money, this never could have happened. Um, I keep a pretty close eye on like cults. I, I like to, to report and write on them. And I haven't heard of anything that's this interesting in quite a while. So I think this would have been equally interesting if it was a bunch of like, um, 
sort of not very well off people in Detroit, you know, mm. but you think that the women involved were so beautiful did make a difference because people were immediately like, what? You know what I mean? Like Alison Mack is like the platonic ideal of like a CW millennial blonde star, you know, like she's the cutest, she's a good actress, like everybody knows her name. Like that just didn't make any sense to anybody. Um, and yeah, I think I, I I think that the the fact that it has legs has a lot to do with the women who were involved. Because certainly Keith, like nobody cares about him, but um, the way that he used women against each other and was able to like maximize their worst impulses, um, I think in all in the the all you know in the service of women's empowerment is what makes it a very like very contemporary story right because like we're all trying to figure out like well what is women's empowerment like is it empowering to like go be a stripper or is it empowering to like be like i won't you know take any of these dumb beauty products and put them on my face that don't work because like none of that stuff works you know but mm. like, everybody tells you to buy it or like what's empowering you know and he had sort of given them an answer and they liked that um so yeah that's, that's really that's really interesting i mean there's a lot of debate within sort of third wave feminism and old school feminism about empowerment now and obviously the freedom to make certain choices doesn't necessarily mean the choice is an empowering one so that's a, a huge discussion that's currently playing out I'm just going to say to the chat now if you want to get some questions in for Vanessa, now's your chance. Uh, I, I just wanted to pick up on that thing, uh, something you said moments ago, where you said you're fascinated with cults. And um, I was just wondering in, in your in investigations and in your research and your interest in these things, is there a common theme you can sort of use to connect the sort of cult mentality or how people are recruited? What, what things pop up to you time and time again that, you know, you can connect the dots between these cults, even if the subject matter and the recruitment's completely different, what, what sort of things ring uh, the same? Uh, well, I, I think the classes is something you see a lot, like buy these classes, bring your friends to take these classes and the classes are sort of like brainwashing machines, mm. you know, um, that's very, very similar. I think like the secret life, like a lot of people in Nexium, the ones who weren't like really sleeping with Keith or in on the secret, they all thought he was like celibate. He was like the world's most ethical man. He just walked among them they had no idea that he had this whole double life so secrets you know i think are really used to control people um you know i, I mean it's almost like a cookie cutter cult in some ways it's so similar a lot of stuff from scientology a lot of stuff from scientology you know yeah i mean i, I like to think i mean i i like to think i'm skeptically minded and i i look at cults and i've interviewed a few people who've been part of cults and i like to think that i've got a, a strong immunity to these kind of things but deep down do we all have our sort of buttons or ways we can be, be manipulated into these things do you think do you think there's a way that you know and the you know a person who's quite uh educated on cults could actually find themselves victims of one as well oh yeah i think like 
you never know what's going to happen like when you're down and out right like when you're going mm. through a divorce or if you've lost all your money or your parents have died like big mo like jarring life moments everybody is like susceptible to something during those times you know how do you have that conversation with somebody then who's obviously clearly been manipulated and clearly are have suffered under a cult but absolutely maintain that they're empowered and they agree with it? how do you how do you convince that person they're actually a victim well i think that's what like the cults you know whatever you call it, the cults, um, like the interventionists do, right? I think it's really, really, really hard because people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I feel really good, you know? Hmm. Um, I think it's really hard. Like, it's hard to sort of change habits, right? And maybe you have to help people break out of it. I think it's, it's like a sort of like an intervention, just the way alcoholism or drug use, right? Like, you got to go, you got to get away from these people, you got to go back home to your parents for a little while and just go on long walks and like, don't take calls from those people, you know? And I mean, just to keep on this area of celebrity that we're all seemingly fascinated with, do you think it's possible for somebody like Alison Mack, for instance, to have a career of, obviously there are many actors, I suppose, who have been guilty of criminal behavior uh, have managed to go on and, and continue in their career but I suppose you know sex transportation is a pretty hefty crime and that carries a, uh, a you know a, an understandably sizable stigma to it is it possible that she may act again I mean I think she could potentially act I don't know that she would want to like I think these people are pretty destroyed because remember in the end everybody was a victim of Keith yeah right like, even if she went to prison and she did some, you know, things that she deserved to go to prison for, like, she was an actress who was like a puppet of Keith. And like, some of these tape recordings that I play in, in my podcast, Infamous, are so incredibly chilling. Like, you can hear him say to her, like, he's negging her, basically. Like, he's like, she's like, well, what should I do about that? Like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, oh, you always think it's about you. You know what I mean? Like he's saying these like just horrible things to her and she's just trying to like get him to pay attention to her, you know? And basically implies she's like a huge narcissist. And, you know, I mean, if you look at some of the emails, like he got her into a three-way with one of the other branded women, one of the other masters. And she wrote him this email the next day, like, thank you so much for this gift and this opportunity to grow. And I appreciate it. And like, you know, you really feel for these women in the end because like, you know, she was really cruel to other women, which is part of why she was punished by the court system. But I mean, their heads were just like, there was like filled with scrambled eggs at this point. Like he had them, they didn't know if they were coming or going. They did not know what was wrong. So I think like when you talk about Alison Mack, you know, this isn't like Charlie Sheen running around mm. saying, I have tiger blood. This is Alison Mack like 
saying that she, you know, wants to act again after like she's been humiliated in front of the world and all her sexual secrets are out there and she's a sex trafficker you know what i mean a sex transporter she's a sex <laughs> transporter but like you know that's like i don't think she's not a like is she a bad is she such a bad person that she would come out of prison and be like you know what i want is like an acting job like i think she would just be like you know what i want is to fucking live on a mountaintop and like just maybe i'll have a kid and i want to drink some tea you know just to pick up on that other point regarding her you mentioned that obviously she she treated the other women particularly bad what sort of things are we talking about here what kind of what, what was her behavior i mean she was just you know i mean first of all you know she was on twitter like saying things like emma watson would you like to join my female empowerment group, please get in touch with me. God. You know, for real. That is not that is not hyperbole. She did that. Um, you know, I can't remember exactly, but there was like a lot of manipulating people to go have sex with Keith, right? That's what she was basically accused of. And some of the other women didn't do it like with the verve that she did it. Um, and you know, I don't think she was part of this one, but there was a whole like series of these women who had to like travel around with paddles because they had to like paddle each other when they were like being bad. If they were like late to something, they would have to paddle each other. And then at the end, actually the woman who was in the threesome was, was buying like full on cages with like doggy, like collars that would shock people. And like, I mean, Somebody said to me, part of the reason the feds finally moved in is they were like, somebody's going to fucking die here. This is insane. Something insane is about to happen here, you know, because they were so like over, over just, just the rational thought was like gone, you know? So, yeah. Well, the, the next thing cult aside, what, what <laughs> sort of things are uh, piquing your interest at the minute? What? Sorry, go you happy to be a man? Doesn't this sort of make you have the story make you sort of be like, I'm glad I am a man and I did not have to get involved with something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it blows my mind that it, it can continue for so long and it takes an external force to stop it. That's, that's what blows my mind. But uh, like, that's the power of manipulation, I suppose. Uh, I was just going to ask you as well, what what sort of things are you looking at at the moment, aside from this, what sort of stories and topics are catching your interest? Yeah, I mean, I've written a lot about uh, Meghan Markle um, on, like, Infamous on the podcast. I have a whole series in there about um, the guy who founded Girls Gone Wild um, because he is also on the run in Mexico and he has, he's not able to come back to the U.S. Um, like, he could come back, but if he was caught speeding or something, he would be in trouble. Um, and uh, I read a lot about, like, tech stories i'm really interested obviously in elon as everybody is and like how everything elon touches right now is like going to crap and yet he's like the biggest pop icon we have and everybody looks up to him but like tesla's a mess twitter's a mess his personal life is obviously a mess you know and so he's i think a really fascinating character 
Yeah. Right. Well, just to pick one at random, then I suppose to bring it back to the UK, Meghan Markle. It seems to me just me putting the feelers out in my own culture. She's not particularly popular with the British public right now. Uh, have you got any sort of handle on how she's polling opinion wise with the American public? Uh, I. I think that the American public is pretty over her. I was like mm. a Meghan Markle truther before this all went down. So like, I just want to say I was there early. I called it first. <laughs> You've had a journey. I had a real journey with her. I, you know, wrote a piece about her family, like it must be four years ago. And, you know, normally I write these pieces. If they're about women, they get picked up in all these women's publications and nobody would write about my story. And I was like, are you joking me? Like, L Cosmo, like you guys don't want, this is like so juicy. This is all about her family and what's going on and blah, 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 blah. All these weird lies she's telling about them. And they, everybody was like, Vanessa, you just, you really are just, you're just wrong about this. Like, why, why are you so down on her? Like, I, I don't get it. It's like, it doesn't become you. Like, it's embarrassing for you. She's a black woman. And I was like, ah, my, 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 my brain is. Like, I can't stand this, well, know? Vanessa, we just yeah. just about run out of time. So maybe you could just quickly tell people where they can find more of your work. So, yes, my podcast is called Infamous and it's a rolling series. It's a weekly series that's like highly, highly produced of like, you know, serial style stories of cults and infamous figures in American culture. So, yeah, not Infamous America. It is called Infamous. Um, infamous. Apple Podcasts and Spotify and like wherever you get your podcasts, as we say. Well, so. I'll definitely, I'll certainly be checking that out because I'm fascinated about hearing these recordings now. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's, it's flown you. by. That was I've fascinating been... to talk yeah. to you. I hope I didn't like give you nightmares. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll get back to you on that one for sure. But yeah, and I, and I didn't know Vanessa that you were a Meghan Markle truther. I know I'm the Meghan Markle truther. It's crazy. I'm starting, I'm going to probably do something about it on this podcast soon, mostly because I've been asked to do bigger stories. Like, and I was like, well, this is a story I know pretty well. Um, well would you come back yeah. on our podcast sure, and talk yeah, yeah, about yeah. Meghan? That'd yeah, I would be happy to. I would be happy Fantastic. to. I know it's hard to find people. I always get like emails from like the Daily Mail and stuff and they're like, can you tell us who these sources were in your story? And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> you know? yeah. But thank you. So, Stephen, what do you write about? I'll have to check out. Or are you not a writer? Are you more a podcaster? I'll have to check out. I write episode. about a, a lot of things. I've, I've got a sub stack. I sometimes write for Spikes online. But I, I mainly, like like you say, getting caught up in the culture wars and cancellation. Okay. I, I write writing about the current gender wars we're having is taking up a lot of my time as well but yeah i'll, I'll oh, send good. you a link I'll check it out. yeah i'm fine i mean we should someday really have a conversation about it because i do think it, i do believe what i said before which is i think it's starting to diminish here in the u.s people are just so sick of it good They're that's so a good thing for sure yeah you got to find something else to debate <laughs> yeah um, anyway so thank you for having me on i so appreciate it thank you our pleasure thank you yeah. very much great to speak to you bye, -bye. Thanks, Vanessa. bye. bye. bye now bye.